And so I began to work on it and began to tinker with it. And even though it ran, it quit half the time. And it had these old just rotted out seats and different kinds of wheels. And I mean, it, it needed a lot of work. And so I began to work on it. I began to work on it. And I said, you know, the deeper I got, the more I realized it just needs to be completely and utterly restored. And so I took the motor, started to take the motor out and started undoing uh, bolts on it and uh, body bolts. I was going to take the whole body off and the church in Alabama called and wanted me to be the pastor. So I just pushed it up onto a trailer and pushed it off the trailer in Alabama and that's exactly where it sat for about four years. Had a piece of plywood over it, tarps in it and junk piled on it and dust about this thick and I woke up one day and I said, you know, I'm even older now than when I bought it. And so I began I, I began to really take it apart. I, I mean I took every every nut and bolt off, took the complete body off of it and began to strip everything, motor out, everything completely out. And I said, well, if we're going this far, we might as well go a little deeper. So I began to rebuild the rear end and rebuild other stuff. And then we moved here. And I moved it in parts. Rear ends and chassis and fenders and doors and everything else. Yesterday I went by the body shop and looked. And for the first time in 10 years all the fenders are back on. And my words was when I walked in the door it started to look like a car again. I say all that to say this. Sometimes we ride around and the doors are falling off and uh, wheels are mismatched and out of balance. And there's one spark plug gone, but we don't have time to fix it. We know things need restoration. We get used to things. When we moved from our first house in Douglasville, Alabama, I spent the last two weeks living there, working more on that house than when I built it. They said, why didn't we fix this while we were here so we could have enjoyed it? And I said, yeah, I've asked myself that too. <laughs> Today I want to preach on that one little section of Psalm 23, verse 3. He restores my soul. The problem is sometimes we either ignore it or we deny it. But all of us on a day-to-day -day basis need restoration. Now I understand, man, I can't wait. Yesterday looking at that car, I could start to see the interior in it. And I could see this going on. And I could, I could just see me jerking gears in it and listening to the radio and all that kind of cool stuff. But I am of the complete understanding that once it's done that day, there will be maintenance of keeping it restored on a regular basis. You bought a set of tires like me, you understand that. In our life, I, I, I was born again in 1972. But it's been a constant need of God's restoring me every day of my life. I want you to look with me today 
that he restores my soul. Do you feel like the tires are aired up? That your rear view mirror has been ripped off? Headline of Satan? I'm not talking about your car. I'm talking about your life. Today you just feel like maybe something's in your gas. Just kind of drug down. I, I was so glad. I, I felt like so, I was so glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord today. Because that's the kind of week I've had. It just seemed like little things and some big things that come from every direction. There are people all over this place today that's in need of restoration. Well, I want us to look, first of all, how we tend to wonder. Now, of course, he starts off Psalm 23 by saying, The Lord is my shepherd. And if the Lord is David's shepherd, then we would understand and believe that it gives the connotation that David was a sheep. And he's giving that idea about all of us today. That we are the sheep of the great shepherd. Y'all get that, right? We've read this at every funeral. We've read it at weddings. We read Psalm 23 for comfort. But today I want you to understand it's, it's much more than just a, a, a comfort during a funeral. It is a way of life that will restore us on a daily basis. Restore marriages. Restore families. Restore communities. Restore individual believers to really walk in the newness that is Christ and enjoy the salvation of the Lord. David, in the midst of that very pronounced sin of his life in Psalm 51, prayed this prayer, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He didn't say, Dear God, I am lost. Give me your salvation again. No, he said restore the joy, the element of the salvation that makes me enjoy who I am in Christ. And some of us are born again, but we're living in spiritual mediocrity. We're not enjoying the fullness because we've let the weight of this world overwhelm us. Amen? Hang with me for just a minute. And we will see how God can lift that weight that we are being crushed under. First of all, we tend to wonder like sheep. He said in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. How many is all? All. So we get that this message, this is one of those that applies to every single believer in this place today. And if you're not a believer, you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I urge you in the strongest sense to find Him today. Because He's looking for you first. He loves you. That's why you can love Him. And if you will come and surrender your life in repentance of your sin, confessing Him as Lord and Savior, today He can be your shepherd. We tend to wonder because we have no sense of direction. 
They say that a sheep can literally turn around and be lost. They can turn around and have no sense of direction. Many of you really devout, long-term, brave span. I can call out the name of the expressway in Atlanta and you tell me which Braves player it corresponds with. I-285. Pasquale Perez. The pitcher for the Atlanta Braves back in the early 90s or late 80s. Pasquale Perez was going to the game one day and got on I-285. And I-285 is known as the perimeter. It's simply a loop that goes all the way around Atlanta. Pasquale Perez got on 285 and could not figure out where to get off. He missed the entire game. And from that day forward, he was known as I-285. He had no sense of direction. Number one, he was not from Atlanta. He was not from Georgia. He was not even from the United States of America. He figured we probably drove on the wrong side of the road anyway. And before he came to America, he had probably not even drove. Now he's stuck on 285 and don't know where to get off. Some of us are making loops in our lives. We get up every day and we get on our own I-285 and we just make a loop. Have you ever answered the question, how are you doing with, or uh, what's going on? How are you today with this answer? About the same as yesterday. Same, just a different day. We've all answered the question that way. We're on a loop. We're wandering around with no sense of direction. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He restores my soul. You you know why we get no sense of direction? Because of a neglect of spiritual nourishment daily. We wake up tomorrow, church is over, Sunday's over, it's now Monday, it's Thursday. It's Saturday. We have named days. We look forward to the weekend. We dread Mondays. And so we get in the frame of mind based on a secular mentality of the week. But every day is the Lord's. Amen? And He's the giver of all good things. And we need to understand we have no sense of direction. And we neglect that spiritual nourishment daily, which causes us to wonder. We need to put our nose in this book. We need to put this book in our heart. David said that. And he would hide those words in his heart that he would not sin against God. He said, write them not on stone tablets or on paper, but write them on the tablet of his heart. In other places, he spoke of writing the word on his eyelids. And that is the idea that when he closes his eyes, he sees God's word. When he walks, he understands God's word. When he rises in the morning, when he sits down to lunch, when he goes out to battle, whatever he's doing, he understands God is God because daily, 
He nourishes him. When they were in the wilderness and they were instructed how to gather manna so that they could live, except for the day leading into the Sabbath, how much manna were they to go and collect each day? Enough for one day. Why? Because it caused them to have to depend on the Lord. Every night, think about this, except for the one time of their rebellion, every single night of 40 years, they went to bed with nothing in their covenant. You ever thought about that? I don't know about y'all, but I love microwave popcorn. <laughs> I love, what's that thing in our refrigerator? Klondike bar. He Klondike bar. And they were ordained to be eaten after 10 o'clock. Oh. <laughs> Amen. Get it out there where you can see it. There's a lot of challenges. Nine, ten o'clock at night. You can get up at four in the morning. Anybody in this room tonight, this this coming morning, you can get up in the middle of the night and go to the kitchen. And you may stand there and stare at your refrigerator like a mule underneath a uh, gate and say, "There's nothing here to eat." There's something. You ever just went and got a bowl, a jar of peanut butter, just get your big spoonful? Amen. They never went to bed with a jar of peanut butter. They never had a nap. They never had a Klondike bar or a bowl of popcorn. They had nothing when they went to bed. Because God said, you must daily seek my nourishment. God never failed every morning manna was on the ground. Church, I'm here to tell you God's manna from His Word will be in your life tomorrow if you'll trust Him for it. But you know what? They couldn't lay in the bed and hope that God would bring it inside their temples. They had to get up and go gather. Now you can't sleep with your Bible under your pillow and get His Word by osmosis. You can't wait until the sleepiest part of the day after you've taken your meds to start trying to get into God's Word. We must realize that we have no sense of direction and we need God to lead us. How many of you got questions in your life about what you need to do? About something you may need to sell, something you may need to buy, a relationship that you need to get out of or you need to get into there's situations that you've got to make decisions about a job right now. You're making decisions about family, about future. Don't make those decisions without getting on your face and asking God. Because we all, like sheep, are going astray. There's a neglect of spiritual mercy. But then there's unconfessed or unforsaken sin. Proverbs 16 Verse 2. Now, can I be real transparent with you? I really didn't want to read this verse. Because I'm going to tell you, 
When I studied it in this message, God poured conviction on my life. Because sometimes I feel spiritual. I feel like everything's good. I feel like I'm, I may not be the best any, but I can be the most. I feel like that I'm a good preacher. I feel like I'm a great husband. I feel like I'm a good citizen. Everything's great. Call my mama every Sunday. Tell her I love her. I'm a good person. Well, Solomon wrote in Proverbs 16, verse 2, All the ways of a man are clean in his own life. But the Lord weighs the Spirit. And I have to stop and say, I'm not that special. I really don't have it all figured out. And all it takes is to have a week like this week to realize that. I don't have all the answers. We, we jokingly call Wednesday night stuff in the past. But usually what happens on Wednesday night is everybody builds each other up and encourages and edifies one another in the Word. It's not about me knowing it because I don't. I really don't. Because every day I'm having to go to Him. The problem is in our life that we have unconfessed or unforsaken sin. We have no sense of correction. We think this is okay, that's okay. We, we, we know in our heart it's wrong, but we won't forsake it. We won't come to the altar of God on Sunday. We won't come to the... We say, oh, I'll wait until I get home. But between here and home, we stop and get lunch. We've got to run to Statesboro. We've got to go to Walmart. We've got to drop the kids off. We've got to pick this up. We've got to do this. got to fix that. got to watch this. got to go there. And between all that, the sin continues to wear us down. It's unforsaken. And unforsaken is unforgiving. The Lord teaches us very clearly that if we confess Him as Lord and Savior and we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm not trying to put you under a weight of guilt, but if there's unforsaken, unforgiven sin in your life, you do not have the direction on your own to get it right. You must seek the Lord. He is the good shepherd. You see, not only do we tend to wonder because of no sense of direction, but because sheep have very poor eyesight. They say a sheep can basically only see about 15 yards to make out what's there. 15 yards. What well, a sheep hunting. Because I'm going to tell you, you ever tried to hunt turkey? If a turkey can smell like a deer, nobody ever kill it. Because they have unbelievable eyesight. They can see anything move. Deer will walk through. And if they they sense just by the frame of where they go on a regular basis that something is out of order, a lot of times they'll freeze because they, they, they see something is not right. Chief's not like that. Chief's just wandering around. They don't know. They don't care. Very poor eyesight. You see, what happens is we have poor eyesight. And we don't realize that companionship with the world, pleasure-loving, unprincipled lives is not 
God for who He is and not realizing the pain of sin. Church, have you seen the news? We can blame everybody we want to, but the bottom line is the reason for so much cancer, the reason for ISIS, the reason for Russia invading Ukraine, the reason for Ebola, the reason for all of that ultimately is because of sin. The wages of sin is death. Every funeral home director has a job because of sin, both direct and indirect. We were born sinners. We did not become sinners because we sinned. We were born in the imputed sin of Adam and of the sin nature of our parents. But we can be born again into the imputed righteousness. But we've got to see Him for who He is. Why do you think He said, If I be high and lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So the world can see Jesus. Why do you think they're trying to tear the crosses down? Why do you think they're trying to get rid of the Ten Commandments? Why do you think they want the prayer off the football field? Why do you think they want the Christians out of the public arena? Because as long as Jesus is lifted up, it convicts their way of life. Their unprincipled, uh, immoral lifestyle. Church, we must focus our eyes on Jesus. Like the old hymn said. Place our eyes on Jesus. You know, we tend to wonder because of our poor eyesight and the neglect of giftedness and beauty, some of us won't look at what God has called us to do. We won't do it. We're not fulfilling what God wants because we can't see the benefits of obedience. It's not even about the benefits. The benefit is we bring glory to God. That's what we're here for two reasons. To glorify Him and to love Him. Y'all seen some of the stuff out there that a very, 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 very famous mega church pastor's wife said, we do not worship God for God. We worship God for us because it makes God happy. That's a jacked up theology. Because I got news for you. We worship God because of Him. Amen. It's not because of us. Because I've got news for you again. The Bible says if we don't, the rocks will cry. That's right. Mordecai told Esther, if you don't, God will raise somebody else up who will. So stop living in a pipe dream that God needs you. God wants you. God don't need anybody. Let's go. Let's, let's not forget, He didn't need us to create this place. He's not going to need us to recreate this place. Because He's God and we're not. Let us stop neglecting our giftedness. Some of you have great giftedness in the Spirit. You say, I can't. No, I need that. Look, I wasn't born a preacher. I wasn't. I'm not real good at it anyway. But I, sometimes we just look at someone that God is doing the work in 
And we think they were just born that way. No. The Holy Spirit does that which we cannot do in ourselves. When you come to the point that I can't teach a Sunday school class, you're in the perfect place for God to use you. Because He said, my strength is perfected in your weakness. It's when we are completely void and empty of any ability when God is glorified in us. Amen? Let us not neglect our duties. We tend to wonder, but then I want to see the reasons for wonder. The reasons. See, for every illness, there are symptoms of the illness. First of all, a critical complaining attitude. You know somebody needs a touch from God when all they do is complain. If you say things are black, they say it's white. You say it's up, they say it's down. Negative about everything. Have a Holy Ghost revival type service and all they're worried about is what the temperature of the air was on. Yeah, man, owe me something. Our perspective is all messed up. We have critical complaining attitudes because we are trying to redirect attention away from our own shortcomings. The most negative people are the most insecure. Remember that, young people. When people want to start jumping you, when people want to try to run you down, Tell them and tell everybody that you're not good enough to be their friends and to be in their little clique and to do all this, but they're insecure. You just be who you are in Christ. And if they look, the Bible says to have friends, you must first show yourself friendly. <coughs> but it doesn't say go and be somebody's whipping boy. That doesn't mean to retaliate, it means to be smart enough to understand that negativity will bring you down. I'm guilty. I'm guilty, man. I don't like negativity. I like peace and quiet. I like to laugh, joke, have fun, and be happy. But there's just some folks that every morning they get up and they go down their checklist. And number one says, make somebody else miserable. Number two, see if you can aggravate everybody at work or church or the ballpark or in school. Number three, go back to number one. And whatever you do, P.S., don't smile. Be aggravated. Go to lunch on Sunday after church and be rude to the server because your food didn't get there fast enough. And wreck the testimony of every other Christian. Rip somebody off in a business deal because you think you're better. Smarter. Church. We expect the world to come to church and come to Jesus. We got to start acting like him. Live like you. Because why? I want to ask you. Why does the world want to be part of the church when too often we look too much and act just like they do? 
critical, complaining attitude, a complacent spirit. You know what that means? Who cares? Live and let live. Man, not my problem. What about this agenda and that agenda and that lifestyle? What about drugs? Ain't my problem. I don't do it. They want to shoot yourself and kill yourself and drag yourself out and live like that and do it. Ain't my problem with they don't mess with me. Church, we've been called to be salt and light. And if the salt has lost its savor, it's of no use. Are you adding flavor to a flavorless world? Wherever you go during the week, you add flavor. A godly flavor to a wretched, flavorless world. They some things salt can make evident. Amen? You just put enough salt on it to eat. We've got to be that salt and light. We cannot have a complacent spirit. Just not care, church. There are people dying and going to hell in the shadow of Eastside Steve. Because, see, it's not just a complacent spirit. It's a callous heart. It's not just saying, who cares? It's saying, I don't care. I don't care. I don't have time. I've got all this with my four and no more. They deserve what they got coming to them. Be careful when we start talking about deserving I got news for you. Hell, I'm used to that. There's nobody in this room who deserves heaven. Nobody. They some really good people here. I'm talking about jam up jelly type people. I'm talking about my mama kind of people. That will love you unconditionally. That will do things for you, send letters. Cards, text, calls, kind words, hug around the neck, kind of good. That will deserve heaven. The only reason any of us is going there is because sovereign God loved us so much that He sent His Son to redeem us. That was unredeemed. Reasons for our wandering? Critical. Complacent. Callous. I'm going to tell you, when you get callous, I got calluses on both hands. I have a lot more when I did construction. I got sissies in But I got calluses where my rings are, where they wear against my hands. Sometimes it just gets there. I just take a knife and carve it off. That's just a boy thing. But you know, callus build up, there's really not a whole lot of feeling because it's just dead. Just a dead buildup. And things rubbing against it. We rub against the world so long, it's calloused our heart. What we need is a broken heart surgery. We need God to cut away the scar tissue. Some of you have been scarred by church. And you want to quit church because you want to blame the deacons and the
preacher and the music. You want to blame Sunday school. And the, and so-and-so didn't shake your hand. They looked at you cross-eyed and real funny that day. Look, maybe they had an allergic reaction. Their eyes just wandered that way. You know, maybe, maybe they just got bad news Sunday morning. You don't know what they're going through. Stop worrying about those things and harboring that stuff and let God cut away the scar tissue in your life. Be receptive once again. I don't know about you, I need that. I need that. But sometimes the scars over time build up and don't even really realize it because you keep bumping into it, loving up against it. Think about it when you get up in the morning. Think about it when you go to bed. Little things right down the road will bring it back to your mind. A song, a smell will bring back bad memories. And it builds up scar tissue. And what we need to do is lay before the Lord and say, God, cut away all the garbage so that I'm raw and that I'm open to whatever you have for me. You see, we need a shepherd. Wandering, blind, ignorant sheep need a shepherd. He said, He restores my soul. How? First of all, restoration is continuous. If you look at the original language, it's a present, a present infinity. He restores. That means tomorrow, He didn't restore, He's restoring. He restores. In an hour, He restores. Tonight, He restores. Next week, He restores. He's always restoring. When we allow Him to restore, it is continuous in His action. Aren't you glad? There's no point past return except when we draw our last breath. But today, we have the opportunity to be restored to the joy of the place God means for us to be. But some of us are holding on to the world so tight right now. We know we're not going to turn loose of it today. All of this is right. You totally agree with it, but you won't surrender it. I can't do anything about that. But I can beg you, loosen your grip. Let Him be your shepherd. Because His restoration is continuous. And, his, and get this, His restoration is gracious. And you know what that means? His restoration is gracious, which means it's based on His love, not our work. We've already dealt with this a little while, so I'm not going to spend much time on it. But we need to get it through our head. We're not working. I heard someone say one time, Based on the elements that make up our body, if we were melted down, sorted out, based on the chemical compounds and the minerals in our body, we'd be worth somewhere around a dollar ninety-two cents. I don't, I don't think that'll buy you a cup of Starbucks coffee. Not a grande, anyway. not based on our work. It's based on His love. Because John 3.16 said, For God so loved. It's beautiful, isn't it? He so loved the world. And His restoration is purposeful. 
He does it not for our purpose, but for His. It's for His name's sake. For His name's sake. He's our shepherd. He went against logic. He went against politics. He went against His own people. He went against everything. Everybody told Him. Except for one. Which was His Heavenly Father. He said, not my will, but thy will be done. It did not make good sense for the Son of God to leave heaven, come to this earth, live amongst men, die on the cross, and all for our sin, not for any of his, because he don't hate you. I don't make good sense. I love y'all. Y'all believe that? Y'all believe Brother Matt loves you? I mean, honestly, some of us scared to say that. I'm telling you, I love you. Get that? I love you. But I love them more. I just do. I don't mean that in disrespect. I mean it this way. I love you to the extreme. And I may lay my life down for you, but I'm not going to lay down their life for you. You hear what I'm saying? Any little old boy or girl comes to court and thinks, that I'm just going to lay down their life for them? Got a rude way. You hear what I'm saying, this? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> God looked down at you and me. See, here's the deal. You may get mad at me and not even understand the situation, but here's one thing I know. These things in my life you don't know about. I've had to confess before, Lord, you got some of those too. See, God knows all of them. I'm worthless. I'm useless. I told you from the very start, if you'd known some of the things in my past, you'd never called me as pastor. But I know some things in your life I've never had. But see, we're all sinners and all come short of the glory of God. But hallelujah to the Lord that He is our shepherd and in His purpose. He can make something out of nothing. And finally, I want us to look at the way of restoration. Quickly, I want to just go down through Psalm 23. You need to write this down. Good grief, why don't you move me? Y'all ain't been writing the whole time? I know it's not that profound. This is pretty good. This has been lived by. The way of restoration. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. First of all, he said that he shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. You see, see God said, the Lord will be your shepherd. There'll be no need or want for rest. I shall not want for rest. Why? Because He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still water. They tell me that a sheep will not drink out of bloody water. It scares them and they, they, they won't do it. That a goat will literally go in. If it's around the sheep, a goat will go and jump in the water drive the sheep off. Sheep need still 
cool, slow rolling water to drink. Filling leaves us by still water. I shall not want for rest. He said, I shall not want for refreshment. Those still waters, those pastures, He gives us what we need in our time of need. He said that an earthly father, the Bible says, if a son says, I'm hungry, he doesn't give him a scorpion, he gives him a loaf of bread. Right? But how much more will our heavenly father, if our earthly father will do that, how much more will our heavenly father give us in times of need? I shall not want for rest. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. I shall not want for refreshment. He leadeth me beside the still waters. I shall not, I shall not want for restoration. He restores my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. I shall not want for relevance. You're relevant to the Lord. You matter to God. We sometimes feel like we have no purpose. We have no direction. I want you to understand. You're relevant to God. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. Here's a pretty powerful one. I shall not want for relationships. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I'm tough. I'm well trained. I'm an American. No. For thou art beautiful. I don't know about you, but I just like knowing I have a relationship to the Creator of the universe. That though He is transcendent. He's also imminent. And although He is the Creator, He's my Heavenly Father. And so I have a relationship that I can come boldly into His throne and plead for mercy and grace in time of being hears me. I shall not want for relationship. I shall not want for rescue. He said... I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. These are tools of rescue, both to fend off the enemy, but also to pull us out when we fall into a pit. David said that in his own personal testimony. He said, I was in a horrible pit, in a miry clay, but the Lord took me out, cleaned me up, put my foot upon Established my goings. How did he do it? The good shepherd took his rod and his staff and he reached down and hooked that sheep, David, and pulled him up. Established his goings. I shall not want to rescue. Some of you right now have odd against your brethren. You're mad at a family member. You're upset with a co-worker or a former friend. He said in verse 5, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. I shall not want for revenge. When we let Him be our good shepherd and we just be obedient sheep, we'll not worry about what somebody did for us. You know what we'll do? We'll pray for them. 
You cannot stay mad at somebody you pray with. You hear me? I made any of you mad. Number one, I apologize. Number two, pray for them. Everybody drops a ball. You may be exactly and completely in the right in knowing they really did you wrong. But you're completely in the wrong if you're carrying that around like a badge of honor. You're going to use on everybody. I shall not want for revenge. I shall not want for riches. We're going to start hearing about this next Sunday for the next six weeks. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup overflows. My cup runneth over. It overflows. This, I, I, I shall not want for riches. When we get our eyes on God, it won't matter that we're driving a 12-year-old beater. It really won't. I mean, I'm secure enough in my life right now that I don't, I don't need a brand new vehicle. I'm not against somebody who gets one. I'm proud for them. I want to ride it because I love that smell. But I don't love that pavement. When we got married, Becky had a 1983 pavement. Y'all remember 1983 vets, don't you? It's a shove not a Corvette. They didn't make 83 Corvettes. She got that thing new, or basically, yeah, new. We got married, she had that, and I had my truck. It was an 85 truck, we got married in 89. Well, that Chevette, after two or three years, air quit, window wouldn't roll up, it'd fall down. It was a four-speed. I think it had 26 horsepower. The New York Boat and Tractor got more horsepower than the Chevette. But I'd slam in gear like I was in a race car. You know, all of 42 miles an hour. So. That thing got so just worn out. About like a Hugo, disposable Chevrolet car. My daddy felt sorry for my wife. My grandfather, my grandmother passed away. My grandfather was in the nursing home or had just passed away. They had a 1978 Delta 88 going to die. It was the ugliest baby cute green you ever seen in your life. Faded. I waxed it with motor oil. You got to really say the car, it'll work for a little while. Look, it was so bad when we were in the big blizzard in 93, I shoveled the snow off the car. Literally. I took a flat blade shovel and shoveled it off because it didn't matter. The eagle crushed velvet seeds. The headliner falling down, maybe take a pin, pin it all up to hold the headliner in. Y'all ever done anything like that? But you know what? The air blew cool. Had tires pulled off of police cars. My mother worked for the city of Powder Springs, and they they can only use those tires for so long, but they still got some tread on, and we got them for free. So we rode on black balls in that green big Delta 88. They called it the Green Bean. Now I went as a youth pastor. This is good memory. We pulled up. They would laugh. We laughed right along with them because you know what? It was paid for. 
Man, where we were secure and we were taken care of. Some riches doesn't mean wealth of this world. It means secure in what God has given us. We have to what we got. And roll on. We can be fat and sassy and be happy with ourselves. Because I don't care. I'm not looking on going today. She's taking me to Puerto Rico for our 25th wedding anniversary. I'm not trying to impress anybody. I just need to be who I am in Christ. Let me finish. He said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He started with rest. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He finishes with rest. Everything God does starts and ends with His rest. They will follow. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The prodigal son went off, wasted all of his money on righteous living, rebelled against his father, despised his brother, left everything he knew. But when he woke up one morning in the middle of the hog slop and realized that the animals had better food than he did, that he was miserable, he was willing to go be a servant rather than a son. When he walked up that road, his daddy cast his eyes down there. He said, there comes my son. That's my boy. Restore him. Get the robe, get the ring, kill the fatty calf. My son who is left has come home. God wants to hold a banquet in your honor right here, right now. As they come with the music, maybe the father played hat. Because my son who's been gone is coming home. They're going to play. We're going to sing. God is calling you to His banquet table. So that when you leave this place today, you can say without a shadow of a doubt, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What's that second song y'all sing? That's it. And you sing this before God with all honesty today, Lord, I need you. I confess, here before you, I can find my rest. But I fall apart, it's all gone wrong. You're the only one that can guide my heart. Come to this table today. Stand. Come. It was fun.